0: Now, every once in a while after we've sang a song, I'll make a remark like I'm about to make related to that song. And I I tell folks that if we really paid attention to the words that we were singing, we would be singing that to the Lord. Fill my cup, Lord. Fill it up and make me whole. And the Lord is pleased with our worship when we worship Him. Worship Him. So I pray that you all thought about that while we were singing that song. All right, our text is going to come once again from the book of Titus in chapter number two. Titus chapter number two. And as the Lord blesses His word this morning, I will read the verse that I've been focusing on for a long time, and then I'll read the context this morning as we proceed in our study. Now, in the verse is verse number 14, talking about Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. And we've been looking at that verse as that being the first part of the verse. Uh, the part of that that we think of most when we think of our relationship with the Lord. We have a relationship with the Lord because He gave Himself for us. That He might redeem us from all iniquity. But then I have divided the verse into two parts. And the second part of that be the verse that Jesus was doing for Himself. who And He says, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Now, we often think about, when we go to heaven, uh, our being with the Lord, and that's a good thought. It's a pleasant thought, and it's something that is absolutely true. If you know him in the free pardon of your sin, one day when you depart this world, which every one of us are going to do, either by death or the Lord returning back to this earth, we will be with Him. That was His prayer in John 17. I will that they whom Thou hast given Me be with Me where I am. He told His disciples in John 14, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in Me. And My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, There you may be also. And so we think about that. But then sometimes I think that we don't think about the other side of that. And I personally am guilty of that. We don't think enough about the fact that Jesus came to this earth to claim a people for his own. For his own. And he came and you say well why did he come? To purify unto himself himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. So, obviously in that, we're in the second part of that, and have been for a couple of weeks, what he came to do. And of course, we have to take the context of that into consideration in order to appreciate what the Bible is teaching us. In other words, the context tells us this wonderful truth. Verse 11, down through the verse I've just shared, and this is what it says. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, that is, all kinds of men. It's not all men without exception, it's all men without distinction. Because we know that the grace of God, as we're about to present it in the context this morning, has certainly not appeared unto all men to accomplish His purpose. And so it says that the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And then it says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, that we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, then who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Now I know several times I've already shared this with you, but I'll share it with you again. And if it's truth, it is worth sharing over and over. And I believe that and have done it for many years. Peculiar people don't mean odd and extreme, and eccentric. It doesn't mean weirdos. We use it that way in our common language. That's not the meaning of it, uh, as it's uh, presented to us in our King James Version. It means a special people that is His. We are His people. And that's the meaning of that. I'll share with you, related to that, just a couple of uh, uh, remarks that I... Run across that I thought was unique, and and here's one. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, many many years ago, wrote these words related uh, to that uh, statement. Peculiar people. The translation "peculiar people" unfortunately has come to mean odd and strange. The passage really means Christ's own people, His choice, His selection. And his portion. And the Bible actually says that, uh, that it's his portion. He carries his lambs in his bosom. He engraves their names on his heart. Each one is to feel, I do not belong to the world. I do not belong to myself. I belong to Christ. I am set aside by him for himself only. I tell you what, sometimes I read things that he wrote back in the 1800s, and I wish I was eloquent enough to say the things that he said. He was an awesome communicator of the gospel. Another source that I found was this. The design of redemption is to consecrate a people for holy service, for priestly worship, and separation from the world. Thus they are a peculiar people, not eccentric but a peculiar treasure held to be most precious and kept with all divine power and care. Oh, I wish I could have been smart enough to say that too. You know, but that's explaining what that is. And you be really, really careful when you run across that word uh, in the Scriptures talking about His people that we understand exactly what that means. And so uh, we've uh, come to the place this morning where we understand that Christ came to do a specific thing. And you know, we must, success, we, must, uh, ad, we must admit, we must confess that what Christ came to do, He will do. He will accomplish it. It's going to happen. It's not just guesswork. Now with us, it may be quite different. But with Him, what He came to do, He will do. I like a particular verse of scripture in the book of Ecclesiastes and in the third chapter and the 14th verse. I'll read that for you in your hearing. Here's what it says. I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. How do you like that? Whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. It shall, nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. It is God that doeth it, and men shall fear, that is reverence, before him. That is the way he does things. In other words, the Bible teaches us very clearly what he has set out to do. It will be accomplished. So what Jesus set out to do in uh, separating a people for himself, for himself, and a peculiar people cherished and loved and kept in His precious care. And so, I want to move to the part of this series that I think is extremely important. I've already shared with you what I was going to do with that. So, has this people that He is talking about here in this passage of Scripture, do they have marks about them? And I want to tell you, friend, you better listen to this. They do. They have Marks that have been produced by him. And so, we're going to start that process in this series. And the first mark, of course, is found here in the, in the 11th verse, uh, or 12th verse, teaching us. So, I want to tell you something about God's peculiar people. They are teachable. Period. They are teachable. Now, down through the years, I can't help but notice this. I've been around a while. There are some that are, and there are some that are not. And I mean, uh, the churches that I've pastored, I think this one is less uh, an illustration of that fact than others that I've pastored. But I would just simply tell you there are people that can take the instruction from the Word of God and pass it off and ignore it and go on their way. That's just a fact. I'm telling you this morning that one of the marks of these peculiar people that he has is in the process of purifying unto himself is that they are teachable. They are teachable and there's a reason for that. But now... Uh, we must assume something uh, in this passage of Scripture for them to be teachable. They must first of all have been given life. And we would all agree that the Bible teaches us that that's what He does in saving people. He gives them life where there was not life before. And that's what the Bible means when it says, And you hath the quickened, that word quickened meaning made alive, who were dead. And the Bible makes that abundantly clear. Who were dead in trespasses and in sin. And so the unregenerate in our world don't have spiritual life. Not everybody has that. Even not everybody that would claim that. That's not my assessment. It is something that the Bible teaches about that. And so we must assume that for this person to be teachable that they must have first been given life. And we've already addressed that in chapter 3 and in verse 5, talking about what it means to be saved. It says, not by works of righteousness which we have done. I want to tell you that shoots the theology of many people in our world right down the tube. It sure does, because there's a lot of people in our world who believe in our teaching that we are saved because we've done something. There, it's everywhere. That we're saved because of our performance in life. I've got to perform well if I want to go to heaven. There are people who think that one of these days we'll stand before God and He's going to stack all the good stuff we've done on a scale on one side and all the bad things we've done in a scale on the other side and see which way that thing topples in order to determine whether we're going to heaven or not. That's false. Pure and simple false. And anybody that would believe that and teach that is not familiar with the things that the Bible has to say about that. And so we, we find in the 5th verse of the 3rd chapter, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. And so we must assume, before we start looking at the marks that are set forth in our context, we must assume... That first of all there has been regeneration take place. There've been life given to a dead person. That's what it means to be saved. Life given to a dead person. Now the dead are not teachable. They are not teachable. You and I'm sure that many of you've had the same experience in life that I have that you've had a concern about someone who is not does not Uh, confess Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, and you maybe have tried to talk to them. Conversation has come up. You've had the experience that I've had where you can talk until you turn blue and it has no impact on that person. The reason is because that person is dead. Pure and simple. They do not have spiritual life. So spiritual life must be given before someone is teachable. They are not teachable apart from that. And so we must assume that. And if we assume that. Then we can know for sure. That grace is working in them. Now I remind you this morning. That the 11th verse says. For the grace of God. That bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. That's the grace of God. Now before we get into that first uh Mark which is teachable, uh, brought out plainly in our text, I want to say a little bit more about the subject of grace and the definition of grace. You all may remember that I dedicated last Sunday morning's message to uh, that subject. You also know, all of you that have listened to me preach over the years, that I love to talk about the grace of God. You know I have said many times, it is the only hope that I've got. Because apart from God's marvelous grace, I am hopeless and I am helpless. That is what I know. I know it for a fact because the Lord has taught me in His Word. Now you may remember that I sent out a little request last Sunday morning. I was telling you what I felt about the definition of grace I was talking about the fact that the two definitions that are most used. uh, Unmerited favor is one. And grace is that. The other one is using the letters of the word grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. And we all agree that grace is that too. It is riches. But you also know, as I shared with you last Sunday, that I've always believed by what some things the Bible said about grace, is that grace is more than favor, more than riches, more than the kindness of God, even though it is those things, but it must surely be more. And so, I made the remark, if anybody has uh, uh, maybe your own little definition, or you know of one, uh, that describes grace to be more than that, uh, I would invite you to do it. Well, I want you to know that Brother David jumped right on it. <laughs> Bless his heart. And he gave me this. And it's good. It says this, God ministering redemption upon an unworth, unworthy souls to the amazement of angels and men, especially the one redeemed. And you know what? Anybody who has uh, spent some time knowing the Lord would come up with that, that you would know that God's grace had made you, uh, had redeemed you, and that you were unworthy, and you were especially amazed. I am. There's a song, I don't remember if it's in our songbook or not, but it says something like this. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. And so that song goes. I want to tell you that every true child of God who spends time in the Word and in prayer and in worship with other brothers and sisters in the Lord amazed. We're amazed. David, you got that exactly right. To the amazement. And you say, angels amazed? Absolutely. The Bible tells us that they're amazed at the working of God's grace in His people. And you know what? Uh, You know, the Bible says that they're uh, guardians of those that are the lords and the bible says that they uh, you know they could be you know they could be here today they could be here they don't necessarily they're spirit beings they can take on bodily form and have but they are interested in the gospel they're interested in god's redemptive plan you might say well why would they be they have not experienced that that has not been their experience to realize that I'm a fallen creature and I'm unworthy and I need God's grace in my life. They've never experienced that. So they have an interest in that very thing. So thank you, Brother David, for your definition. Also, I got another one. My son Tim shared with me this, but he couldn't claim the glory for it. He copied it from Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry was a good commentator. And here's what it says. What God requires... Now I want you to listen real close to this. This is what I'm preaching to you. What God requires of us, He Himself works it in us. Or else it's not done. That's true. If He doesn't work it in us, it's not in us. It's not there. He says... He that commands faith and holiness and love creates them by the power of His grace. He calls it a power at work. I want to tell you He's right about that. That's been my experience in my walk with Christ. There's a power that works in us. And we ought to be so praising and thanking Him. It says, and, and He creates... Uh, he creates those things He requires by the power of His grace in conjunction with His Word that He may have all of the praise. Is that important? You better believe it is. I tell you what, I, I get just plumb frustrated sometimes talking to people and I do all the time. I have people come up to me in the public and they know I'm a... Preacher, they know I'm a Baptist preacher and they know I'm a, a sovereign grace preacher and they want to uh, talk to me and they want to share what they think and I tell you what you want to just stop the conversation with me just start talking about you, uh, your relationship with Him because of something that you are or something that you've done that stops it right there now not only do I love the power of His grace I also don't love Uh, human beings trying to take the praise for what God ought to get. And there's a verse of Scripture, I I run across this, related to that uh, particular definition. It's found in the 65th Psalm. It's just the words are just really precious. And it's in the fourth verse of that Psalm. And here's what it says. I want you to listen real careful. matter of fact, I'm going to give you a little time. I see you turning to it. I'm on, I had a marker at it, so I was a lot faster. Not because I'm more skillful than you in uh, finding books of the Bible and chapters and verses, but because I had it marked. But I, I want I want to be sure that you are hearing this scripture and and being able to put yourself there and praise the Lord for it. Here's what it says in Psalm sixty five five and verse four: Blessed is the man. Whom thou choosest and causes to approach unto thee. Guess what I've learned about my walk with the Lord? I didn't necessarily know it 57 years ago, but I know it today. That He's the one that done that. I've come to realize I wouldn't have had any desire to approach unto Him. None whatsoever. Dead people don't approach They just don't. They don't have what it takes. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee, that he may dwell in thy courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even of thy holy temple. And of course, that's one of those verses which says, if we've really been saved and we delight in him we love to assemble together with God's people. That's what the Bible teaches because he's present with them when they do so. So that was the, that was the little word that uh, Tim gave to me. Then I run across this uh, this uh, definition and I can't remember where it came from or whatever. But I did write it in the fly leaf of my Bible because I thought it was that important. About d- grace. Now listen to this. Grace is not simply kindly feelings on the part of God. It's not just that. But a positive power conferred on men. A positive power. Grace is a real active force. The power that worketh in us, illuminating the intellect... Warming the heart and strengthening the will. That's what grace is. Grace works. Grace accomplishes what God has set out to do. You know, someone might in this series say, Preacher, you're saying that Jesus came to purify unto himself a peculiar people. What if they didn't want to be? Well, the Bible says he make them willing in the day of his power. (laughs) You know, when grace comes over someone, we don't run from the Lord. We run to Him. Amen? We rejoice in that, that we have been blessed in that way. Now, there's a couple of things I want to say about grace and the fact that it's more than just kindly feelings on the part of God, or it's more than blessings, it's more than favor. And one of the things is, uh, and you know I call grace often in preaching, effectual grace. What it means is that it brings about an effect. That it works. Listen, why would an almighty, all-wise God administer grace that wasn't going to accomplish the reason why He did it? You see, some people's beliefs are an assault on God. Just to be honest with you. And I want to ask you this too. You know that I believe there's probably people listening to me that don't believe this. They they tell me they listen to me, and I know they don't believe it. But that's good. They can, you know, that I believe in the security of the believer. I believe that once God saves somebody, that He's going to keep right on working. He ain't going to stop to the very end. The Bible says that Philippians one six. Mark that in your mind and rejoice in that. It's effectual grace. Every once in a while, I ask somebody a question. I say. Do you believe God knows everything? Oh, yeah. Do you believe that God would save the person He knew was going to spend eternity in hell? And they're shocked by that. The God I know wouldn't. The God I know hasn't. The God I know didn't. When He saves someone, it's for keeps. You remember the scripture I read to you? And Ecclesiastes just a moment ago. And so the Bible makes that abundantly clear. So first, the grace of God is a gift. It's something God gives. Here's what the Bible says about that. And to every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of God. Where would you get it? That's where you got it. It was given to you by God. The Bible just said, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. If you're taking notes, you can write Ephesians 4, 7. That's where that quote comes from. And so the Bible says that He gives it. Uh, The Bible also says that He giveth grace to the humble. Where would it come from? He gave it. Does God do things without purpose? Absolutely not. Everything God does, He does with purpose. He does on purpose. And the Bible says He is able to make all grace abound. And it goes on to say that you may abound in good works. So God does it with a purpose. It comes from Him, it is His gift to us. It's powerful, it's a force. It's not just favor, it's not just riches but it is a force that accomplishes what the Lord set out to accomplish. That's why the Bible can say that Jesus came to purify unto Himself a peculiar people. That's the reason the Bible says that. He didn't fail. He hasn't failed. He is not failing today. He's accomplishing His own purpose and plan. And the Bible would teach us that it's powerful because Jesus said to Paul in Second Corinthians chapter twelve, "My grace is sufficient for thee," because when you're weak, it'll make you strong. Now I added some of my own words to that, but that's exactly what he was saying. When you're weak, you know all of us, and I, I, I preached this in a funeral that I done last week Uh, you know this is what life is like man that is born a woman is a few days and full of trouble I was preaching a sermon on the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death is it an enemy? you better believe it is God called it that the last enemy and I said life for us all and you know, we're, we're, we don't get to be an exception to that because we're God's children. As a matter of fact, sometimes the devil fires it on us even more than the rest of the world around us. But there's all kinds of trouble. There's all kinds of disappointments. There's all kinds of discouragement. You don't know how many times over the years I've said to people, listen, this is the way life is the coffee cup sitting on my desk that Brother David gave me says, it is what it is. In life, how many of you have experienced that you have to put something behind you and get on with life? You say, but my difficulty has destroyed me. No, it hasn't. It would if you allowed it. But I want to tell you something, the grace of God is sufficient for you. You don't know how many times I've quoted that to people. That the grace of God, I have no telling how many hundreds of times in a hospital room or in a a comprehensive care place say to people, the Lord made you this promise that His grace was sufficient. That means it has power. It has the ability to bring about effect in people's life. And so it is a force. That God gives us by His gift, It is God that worketh in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. I'm thankful for His good pleasure. I'm, you know, I'm not offended one little bit that the Lord come along and just took away from me my stubborn will. <laughs> I'm not offended of that. I thank Him every day for His mercy and love and grace that He has bestowed upon me. He puts it in us. Now we've come to the end of the message this morning. Time has run out. I guess. I don't know. I'd keep you a little longer if I know you would cooperate. But I want to say this in finishing this. It's in us. It's not something that surrounds us. Even though it is a shield, but it is in us. I'm telling you this morning, it is in us. And I want to close with a couple passages of Scripture. First one I want to share with you is in Colossians and chapter number 3. In Colossians chapter number 3. And I'll read this. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 16, which says this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, psalms and hymns and spiritual song, singing with what? Grace in your hearts. Where is it? It's in your heart. It's in you. It's in you. Now let me give you another one. In 2 Corinthians and chapter number 12 is going to be the next one. S- or n- number 9 rather. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And here's what it says in verse 14. And by their prayers for you, which long after you, for the exceeding grace of, Of God in you. How did they know that? It's recognizable. It's something that shows. This is my message to you. God put it in you and you can't hide it. You shouldn't want to. But you can't. You can't hide it. You know it's something that people can recognize. Sad to say, they also can recognize... When it's missing. And then the last one. And I've shared this with you so many times. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is just absolutely awesome. What the Apostle Paul said. In the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. And here's what he says. And I'll share verse 9 and 10 with you. Now remember the point I'm making. Is God bestows it and it's in us. Paul said, For I am the least of the apostles. Of course, if you're familiar with the New Testament, you would say, Paul, you was a humble man. Because you sure wasn't the least. You was the greatest. Because the Lord chose you and inspired you to write 13 books of our New Testament but he was a humble man he said for I am in the least of the apostles that I am not meet or worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God he did but God forgave him now verse 10 is a verse and this is what I want you to part with but by the grace of God I am what I am you know what That's pretty neat, isn't it? If there's anything good in me or you, I know how it come about. I can tell you on the authority of God's word. He said, I am what I am by the grace, by his grace. And then he says this, which was bestowed upon me, which uh, which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. I got news for you. Grace that's bestowed is never in vain. If it was in vain, I'd have to admit that Christ fails in what He set out to do. It is not in vain. Don't you blame the Lord if it's not there. You can't. But He says this, But I labored more abundantly than they all. All the other apostles, He said, I labored more abundantly than they all. Then here's the word. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. I want you to leave this place today, or I want you as you close the service in your home, wherever you might be, to understand if there's anything God honoring in your life, I know how it come about. It came about because of the grace bestowed upon you so, thank Him for it. Say, I praise You, dear Lord, for Your grace and Your mercy and Your love. Father, we thank You and we praise You because we know You don't fail. You always accomplish what You set out to do. And Father, it's taught, we're taught that in this passage of Scripture. And so, Father, help us to think about the fact that Your grace is is a power or a force that works in us. And one of the things it brings about it makes us teachable. Bless us now as we close this service. Father, if you've spoken to the hearts of any who have participated, I ask, dear Lord, that you would convince that individual that this is your working and not theirs. In Jesus' name and for His sake we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me now while Brother Aaron comes to lead us in a closing?